So uh, just done podcast number five, first one at someone's house. Bit of fun. Is what? it the fifth one, that one? Fifth one, yeah. Wow. Fifth one. We need to up our frequency now. <laughs> They're coming out too slow. How did you find it though, Mike? Yeah, I enjoyed it, yeah. What a lovely house you had. I know, yeah, it was nice. It was lovely, wasn't it, actually? Well, apart from the bit where the chicken like, jumps on the table, <laughs> honestly, man, I absolutely crapped myself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I missed that because I was setting up. Yeah, yeah, honestly, yeah. <laughs> Cheers for the help. Yeah, that's it, mate, yeah. So uh, Sue Greater-X was our guest this week, um, just retired. She was the outgoing commercial director at BSS, and she'd had a really long, distinguished career. Yeah, and travelled a lot as well. Tell I think she that. moved houses like 22 times, I think it was. 26, wasn't it? 26, well, they are. 26, 26 moves 26 jobs. moves, yeah, I mean... There's travellers who haven't moved that often. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things um, that did crop up a lot, there was a lot of acronyms in this podcast. So just before you listen to it, I'll just whiz through. Let me see if I can guess them. TP. Travis Perkins. Correct. Beezer. Wouldn't have a clue. Yeah, the Building Engineering, I can't even say it, the Building Engineering Services Association. They help installers i believe with technical stuff nice of them uh sibsy yeah pass yeah chartered institute of building service engineers these are the ones that help the people that design specifications for buildings wow there you go uh the bmtfa yeah again pass this is exactly how it would be who's the chair she's the chair still there I still don't know. <laughs> that was the British Metal Tube Fittings Association. Uh, and the Reg, that's the Regional Engineering Distribution Group. That's all the independents, and they, they club together to buy. I'll tell you what, there's so many associations, isn't there? There's a lot. There's a lot more as well. But they, these were the ones. So if you're here, TP, Beza, Sibsy, BMTFA, or the Reg, you now know what they are. Well yeah. done, Mike. You got you got none of them. In the description <laughs> of the podcast, you should put a key for people. <laughs> yeah, I've got none. Oh, yeah, I've got TP. I've got Travis Perkins. Oh, yeah. Sorry, mate. Yeah. I only uh, got 20%. that because I drive past it on the way to work every day. It says TP. <laughs> oh, dear. But look, enjoy the podcast. Let's get that music rolled. We forgot to say the metal guys. No, no, we did that in the podcast, though. I did we? Oh, fair enough then. Crack on. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, it's Pete Comerford and Michael Bolton. The metal guys. Uh, today, we another first for us. We're recording this podcast with Sue Greater-X from her, from her house. Hello. Which, uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us today, Sue. Just a, a bit of background about Sue. Sue um, has recently retired, but she retired um, as commercial director at BSS. Uh, previous to that, she was the managing director of Bancroft Pipelines. Uh, that was before Crosslings bought them out, for those who aren't familiar with Bancroft. Um, she's been working in the kind of engineering and construction sector for... 45 years. So quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the retirement at the end of March, yeah. Now, you also... You were on the board at the BMTFA, the British Metal Tube and Fittings Association. Yeah, I'm the uh, chair of the distributors at the BMTFA. Are you going to continue that role? Yes, are you? I'm going to continue. They won't, they won't let you go? No. <laughs> Fortunately. <laughs> and you're working good. with Beza as well yeah, in I'm, a collaborative Yeah, I'm doing a collaboration there. Yeah, happy to talk a little bit about that as well. So you're well. still yeah. pretty 
busy. Yeah, and I'm doing a couple of projects as well for BSS and Travis Perkins. Yeah. Uh, working with a with Travis Perkins, working with a, a large um, house builder. Yeah. Um, and with BSS, I'm looking after the, um, any customer com- product complaints, you know, product liability complaints, that kind of thing. Oh, okay. And um, I've just recently, in uh, to the end of 2019, I did a, a course and got a certificate to say that um, I was now trained to be a mediator. All right. But I haven't been able to do the three observations because I finished at the end of March and ever since then they haven't been doing any mediation face to face. So I've done one Zoom mediation, but they'll only allow one. The other two have got to be face to face. But you do seem like you're still pretty busy then. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, but it's nothing like it was. <laughs> so like you do more hours than me and Pete and you're retired. <laughs> <laughs> I feel embarrassed. <laughs> Well, um, if we go right the way back, um, yeah. <laughs> ha- when you know, what was your first job? You know, how did you get into this career? Well, my first, my first proper job, because I was a shepherd for twelve months when I first left school. But I was so at eighteen, um, I walked into a job centre, and in those days they had little cards out, and you grabbed a card and took it to the person that was in the job centre and said, "I'd like to be put forward for an interview." And I saw this card and it was advertising for a um, an engineering distribution company. Yeah. And it listed all the things that I'd be doing. And I thought, that sounds really interesting. F- variety, lots of variety. But it did say, bearing in mind 45 years ago, they were allowed to do this. It did say, would suit man aged 45 plus. Nice. And I was an 18-year-old <laughs> lad. But I still took the card and said, I'd like to be put forward for an interview. Um, and I remember the the lady there saying, I don't think you're what they're looking for. And I said, I think you'll find I am. So she put me forward for the interview and I got the job. So that was my start of my career in this sector. Okay. If you just kind of give us a bit of a whistle-stop tour then of how you kind of, if yeah. we get to the point where maybe you got to the steel manufacturing, you know, how, how yeah. did you kind of get into that into that sector? Um, well, I did 10 years at that company. Right. The company was SBA. Yeah. It was a, a two-man branch that I worked at in mm. Northampton. And the uh, branch manager doubled up as the sales rep. So every morning we got together and had a cup of tea and then off he'd go repping for the day. So I was there doing goods inwards, telephone sales, the warehouse, the tray counter on my own at 80. When I first started there, I wouldn't be allowed these days, but in no. those days it was. Not Jumped on a forklift and never had a lesson. Learned as I went along, you know, as you did. Why did you feel, like, <laughs> you know, when that job card, just yeah. like in my head, like where it yeah. says it would suit a man aged 45 and over, and yeah. then you got an interview. Yeah. What, What? I mean, did you ever ask what, like, did you ever bring it up or was it just not? No. No, no, no I just went for it. And did you think the job? Was yeah. you surprised because of what the job card said, or was you just that confident that you? you no, knew no, that? I just I read the card and thought, oh, I could do telephone sales. I can I can put stuff away in a warehouse. I can serve customers on the a counter, and uh, I'm I'm quite confident on the telephone. So it all sounded very interesting to me. Brilliant! So, I actually yeah. love that. <laughs> Why? Well, um, what kind of did you get the bug? Because a lot of people stay in this sector, as you, you all know yourself. They yeah. never leave, do they? They just stay in the industry. Yeah. Did you Did you get the bug 
yeah. immediately. Yeah, pretty well. So that's why I stayed there 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so during that 10-year period, I didn't just work at the same branch. I worked at different branches. I became a branch manager. I was purchasing manager for a little while. And then I became a regional manager as well. So mm. I did really well for the first 10 years. So that took me up to sort of 28-ish. Yeah. I think I was 23 when I became a branch manager. What type of products were they distributing? Engineering, consumables, uh, industrial plastics, um, hoses, yeah. pneumatics, that time, type of stuff. Oh, right, okay, okay. And then how did you kind of then, why did you decide to leave? Because obviously 10 years, a big, a big stint. Really yeah, that was, that was funny, actually. I, was, I had a fallout with the boss and it was, a, it was a, owned by the uh, managing director. And I had a fallout because I needed a heating system. I was in Bristol at the time. Right. And I needed a heating system. And my, my lads that worked in the warehouse there were going blue every day in the winter <laughs> And uh, he kept fobbing me off. And then one day I got an invoice for it for me to authorise. And when I looked at the invoice, I thought, great, that means I'm getting my heating system. But actually it was the owner of the business that had bought himself central heating and decided to book it as... Book it through the books. Yeah, put it through the books of the business as a heating system for the warehouse. So I left on principle. So it was cooking the books. Cooking the books, but leaving my guys cold. Was this this the role that you went to work one day and ended up living in Bristol 24 hours later? Yeah, that's the same one, yeah. Sue has moved 26 times, isn't it? I have 26 (laughs) times, yeah. Yeah, 27 if you count my flat in Leicester, yeah. Fantastic. Do you think it's changed much, the industry, since you first started? (laughs) Um, I still think, and you asked the question about getting the bug. Yeah. I think the bug is based on the relationships that you get early doors. Yeah. Um, it, it's those relationships are more than just a, say, a retail relationship would be with a customer because you're seeing the same people time and time again. You're dealing with the same people sometimes, even on a daily basis. You get to know them. It's not just a business relationship anymore. It turns into a personal relationship. You see people growing up. You see them getting married, having children, their kids growing up, leaving school, getting jobs. You just become their part of of who you are and you're part of their life. It's crazy in distribution. People move around. So you go from different companies to different distribution companies. But the purchasing managers... Yeah. They just don't seem to move, do they? No. <laughs> no. Maybe, that's, maybe that's the trick for anyone who's looking for a long career in, in, one, in one job. Become a purchasing manager. Yeah. Well, well, I changed a little bit probably because I was purchasing manager for a while and I quite enjoyed it, but then they needed a new branch manager, so they asked me if I would, uh, would go and run the branch, which I did. What was the challenges when you first had to run your first branch, when you made that step up? Uh, well, it was it was at the head office as well. Yeah. Um, so it was quite a big team, and we did yeah. 24-hour shift there. We did a night mm. shift and a day shift. And I, and, and I was really comfortable doing it. Um, the owner's son had been the previous branch manager, so there was a little bit of walking on eggshells yeah, for a yeah. while. They moved him into marketing, moved wow. me into his role. Wow. Um, probably the only time I've come across a real problem when it comes to me being a woman in charge of something, because a lot of people mention that the night shift supervisor and the day shift warehouse supervisor had said something about there's no way I'm going to work for a woman. Oh, it, was, it wasn't quite that language, but you can imagine yeah. what they said. But I never, I, I never confronted them about it, and I, I 
within a few weeks, those guys would have done anything for me and we really had good relationships. So it was about the way that I, I behave with them, I think. I just had to build trust, so. How do, you know, when you, like, imagine there was probably bitterness in the office to, for you to hear that. I mean, how did that make you feel? How did you make you feel? Was it Determined. Yeah. That that made me feel determined to show that I could be a good boss for those guys, and yeah. and and to win their trust and yeah, so more determined. Yeah, yeah I can. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, like, I mean, for us, me and me, I suppose, we, you see it on LinkedIn a lot now and social media, the news, you know, like of um, women in industry. I mean. It was is that just the one time you you felt that in your career, or is it is it been kind of? It's probably the only time when it's really mattered. Um, I mean, lots of times, um, particularly when I was younger, customers would ring up and ask to speak to the boss, and they were quite surprised when I told them I was the yeah. boss. You know, so just but but they're small things, and no, I would say no, not on the whole. I, it's for me, I've not really ever come across it as a serious issue. Because yeah. obviously we, we speak to people every day um, on the recruitment side of our business. Yeah. Um, and we know that there is still an issue um, yeah. with it being a very masculine, you know, dominated market sector. Yeah, it's male dominated, but I, I, I don't think women that work in it have an issue with the way that they're treated Yeah, on the whole. Um, most certainly... Um, I've been treated really well. I've done really well um, out of uh, this industry. I've stood out, let's mm. face it. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, because it's so male orientated, um, I've been noticed, yeah. which is probably more than a lot of men have in mm. the in the but industry. You've... So it's been a benefit in a way. Mm. But um, I think the issue is we don't have enough women putting themselves forward to come and work in our industry. And I think maybe it's because they don't relate to it and maybe they don't even consider it, you know. We're not getting to them young enough. Mm. We're not, we're, you know, if we, want, if we want to be able to pick and choose across the whole population, we need to cast that net a bit wider and we've got to start in schools, colleges and places like that to let them know what our industry is all about and what mm. it's got to offer. What would you say to, you know, someone who's female and young who, as you said, has no clue about this market sector? What would you be telling them about why they should look at this as an exciting place to come and work? Well, it's a, it's a great industry, both both sectors, and I'm talking engineering and construction now, but and, and distribution into either or both of them. Yeah. Um, there's opportunities to develop a fantastic career. Uh, there are um, real opportunities to build relationships, whether that's with your customers, your suppliers, your colleagues, and there re- it, 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 it's as you've got as much opportunity as anybody. As a woman in this sector, I've never been disadvantaged. There's never been a glass ceiling in my way in this industry. Now, I know, you know, other industries like banking and places like that, I've heard that there's glass ceilings there, but I've never come across it in our industry sector. When did you think that you could go all the way 
did you always have that drive and determination or was it something that just you followed the path and it just happened? No, I, I you could have picked me out of the nursery school ground and said she's going to be a bossy little bugger when she (laughs) (laughs) that was my nickname at school was bossy boots I don't think I've ever lacked in confidence so um no I if you'd have asked me as a teenager what I wanted to do when I left school I always said that I wanted to be on the board of directors of a big business and what age was that um 17 right Okay. What, yeah. what amazes me from meeting you this afternoon is is that to get to where you wanted to be and that from you know from when you decided at like sixteen to, to do that is you've you've just put yourself out there. I mean, you, when you said you moved twenty six times, I mean, most yeah. people think, my God, but I mean, to just follow your dream and that's been your goal. I mean, you've just put yourself out where some people wouldn't because yeah. we speak to people all the time where they want to earn a certain amount of money, but they want to live you know, work 15 miles away from home. I mean, that for you to just relocate yourself. Yeah. You've just done it to make sure that you've had the best possible to get to where you wanted to be, isn't it, really? You've got to have, uh, if you really want to get on, you've got to have a real flexible attitude to everything. You've got to be prepared to do what the business needs you to do. And, And if that means, as it happened to me, that you get in the car and you drive into the office. I lived in Northampton. I worked in Leicester. I got into Leicester in the morning. By the afternoon, I was living in Bristol for the next three years. I had no idea that morning when I got in the car and drove up to head office that I was going to be in Bristol that afternoon for the next three years. Obviously, Rob, who we've met today. I mean, how supportive has Rob been over your career for you to just, you know, because you said in the guard, your job's been number one, you know. Yeah, and it and it always had had to be for me because I can only focus on one thing. So Rob and I got together when I was about forty. So up until then, I just had a fantastic career because I was able to make my decisions instantly. You know, people come and go, and you know, yeah. I had a boyfriend when that Bristol thing happened, but I just dropped him a note to say, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm off, off to Bristol. Yeah. <laughs> did, um, did a lot you of take no prisoners? No, no, that's it. Yeah, love it. <laughs> did um, a lot of the opportunities come your way? Were you offered a lot of these because of how you were, or did you have to go and hunt those opportunities down? I, I, that's a good question, Pete. I Thank think, you. I think, <laughs> I think the, um, probably for the first 10 years, I was quite young. I yeah. Like I say, I was 18 when I joined. I was 28 when I left. During those years, they tended to come my way and I wouldn't turn anything down. Whatever was offered, whatever came with that offer, uh, couldn't put me off. I would just accept whatever I was asked to do. So, like, go and work in Bristol, like, take over from the boss's son as as branch manager with everything that went with it. It was quite funny, though, because I wrote to the owner of that business after I'd been there about two, three years. um, And I wrote him a letter basically saying that I felt that I'd done a really good job in the first three years that I'd worked for him. But I didn't feel that I really should be remaining where I was forever and, and I'd like a conversation with him about other opportunities. So he came down from head office to the North, Northampton branch and we had a little chat and he asked me what I was interested in and I told him that I was interested in purchasing and um, within a year I was purchasing manager. 
So, so a mixture of the two. Mm. But I would always, I would always do whatever I was asked to do. If I was asked to go and take over a branch or you just do relocate, it. Do say yes. then that's what I would do. How did? The, but as I've got older, I've, I, you know, I probably put myself forward more often. How did the the BSS move come about? So I took two years out after that first 10 years, and I did two years working for a contract cleaning company. And about 2,000 part-time employees, I was operations manager, and none of them had a national insurance number that made any sense. And they were all Irish, all these 2,000 part-time cleaners. They wouldn't be these days, but in those days they were all Irish. So I did that for a couple of years, but I really missed the relationships that I that I had with proper customers, as I would see them, and not just people who you never meet because you're going in outside working hours in the evening or whatever. Um, So I only did two hours. And then I saw a job advertised in Sheffield. I was living in Lancashire then. But I saw a job advertised in Sheffield for a customer service person in a steel manufacturing company. So I went and got that job moved to Sheffield yeah I was there about 10 years with that company and when I left I was general manager what were they making they were manufacturing steel cutting tools right so lots of steel cutting tools they also had a business that manufactured cable tray mm. uh, for electrical cable tray and uh, had a small distribution business that went with that as well so but I was working for the PLC so okay. yeah and was that where, because you went, you said you then went to what was Crossling? Yeah, well, they had a, that was a small PLC and they mm. had a hostile bid against them, which right. they managed to defend. Mm. Um, I was general manager then working for the Group MD and I was fairly close to what was going on. So I knew what was going on. I knew that it had taken all their money to defend this hostile bid. Yeah. And was pretty sure that they'd come back again. And the MD at the time had a chat with me and he said, I'm going to start looking for another job because I think that they're going to come back and will not be in a position to defend it. And usually they let their top management go and want to put their own teams in. So I, I saw a job advertised as managing director of Bancroft Pipeline in Halifax and um, applied for it and got the job. So took over as MD at Bancroft Pipeline. Okay. When did the crossling? How, how long ago? I'd been with been Bancroft about eight years when the um, the Bancroft uh, family mm. sold out to the Errington, uh, sold out to Richard Errington, who owned Crossling. Yeah. But he did say that he would only buy the business if I would stay on for 12 months and help integrate the business. Right. And I'd, because it had been offered to me first as MD for a management buyout, I'd already got a business plan, which uh, Crossling had seen before they bought the business. So if you stay on, use your business plan. They believed in the plan uh, and we'll, um, we'll, we'll buy the business. So we bought the business as long as I stayed. And about a month after we'd shaken hands on that, BSS came along and asked me if I'd like to join them as commercial director. So I had to turn them down the first time they asked. Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel? Because one of the things that often people, normally with people who own businesses, um, and when they then get bought out, it's quite typical for them to stay on and get 
a tranche of money to start with and then get yeah. paid the balance later on. But sometimes people's heads just go as soon as the business is sold and new yeah. management comes in. Yeah. Did you find it a struggle to do that 12 months? No, because because I was employed, I didn't own the business. If I'd, if I'd have owned the business, that's different, I think, because it's your baby that you sold, really, mm. isn't it? So I can understand that. I was an employee albeit as a managing director, but I was employed by Crossling mm. to stay on and continue doing what I was doing and integrate the two businesses. If BSS hadn't come in, do you think you would have stayed there? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it was, they, they were a great business to work for. Yeah. Independent, but a fairly large independent business. BSS was always the main competitor. So Bancroft Pipeline were a, com- a, small, ind- a small independent yeah. competitor of BSS. Crossing just made that business a bit bigger. You know, yeah. um, we've mentioned, you know, the time we've been doing this podcast, obviously a lot of these roles, you've progressed up and got to the got to the top. Yeah. What would you say that made that happen? Because wherever you've been, you've got to the top. I mean, that's that's quite something really, because some people in their career know they could perhaps get there, but then they, there's frustrations kick in, there's the person above them isn't going to leave until they retire. I mean, there's, I mean, you've, you've, Really outstanding in every organisation you've been in, haven't you? Really? Yeah, but I, but I think you know, say frustration. I've left businesses for the right reasons. I've not left because I've not been able to progress, and I'm I'm not shy. You know, yeah. I've always been quite open. So whoever I've worked for, I've been really happy to tell them what what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what my ambitions are. But with the Bancroft one, I went straight into that role as MD and I went straight into BSS as commercial director. So I I was already there, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And I I know it wasn't the MD position I took at BSS, but but you're talking about a a, a much bigger pond. Yeah, Yeah, of course. Especially when TP came along a few years later and acquired the business. So. Mm. That really opened up the doors and opportunities. I mean, a lot of people who like listen to the podcast, I mean, some of them are either in the positions that you've had within the career or the people who are aspiring to have your career. What's it like when you're in that role? You take it on. I mean, because obviously everyone can view from far and go, oh, if I was doing this, I'd do it that. You know, what, what's it like when you're actually sat in, the, sat in the seat? Well, I've always found myself too busy to overthink it. Yeah. But I think when you're in it, yeah. you just... Get on and do it, don't you? You don't really dwell on it. You don't really... I know, I've never been there. (laughs) (laughs) You don't really think there... You don't analyse your your position. You just... You grab it, you focus on it, and you do the best possible job you can while you're in it. So... Yeah. Don't really... It's not daunting, really. Just think... Because how many people would you... uh, Would have been reporting into as commercial director at BSS? Um, well, I think when we were at our largest, about 35, yeah. so quite small, really. Yeah. Even when I was working in the manufacturing, there was a yeah. lot more people. So it's not about it's not about the number of people. But yeah. you don't. it's not just about the team that reports into you. It's about the influence you can have on the wider team. Yeah. And also, when you're on the board, I didn't sit on the board just as a commercial director. I was a board member. So I suppose the 1,200 people that work in BSS I cared yeah. about, not just the 35 that were, we're in direct. my yeah. Yeah, team. That's right, yeah. You've worked for both 
small, medium and large independents, yeah. as well as corporate. Yeah. Now, yeah, some people can't PLCs. switch between. Yeah. How, how did you find transitioning from one to the other? And wh- which did you personally prefer? Oh, I think um, the transition wasn't a problem at all for me. I had worked in a PLC before. It was quite funny, actually, because our biggest competitor in BSS is Woolsey, who yeah. you probably know. We do. Yeah. And the commercial director of Woolsey at the time, I knew because we'd, we'd go to events and we would have been introduced that way. And I didn't know this, but if a couple of years after I joined BSS, I saw him at one of these you know, um, events and he came up and said, I owe you an apology. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, when I'd heard that you'd got the job as commercial director at BSS, I told everybody she'll be no good because she's come from an independent. He said, so I owe you an apology because you're doing a really good job there. I bet you were highly satisfied <laughs> yeah. to I have was, that. Yes, yes quite yeah. happy. Thank you, Very obviously. Much, yeah. Yeah. I'm major competitor. <laughs> um, so, no, and, and preference, um, I think you you've got less governance going on in a smaller organization although i think the i think the world's changed a little bit on governance anyway and it's probably affecting independence as much as the plc's you've got more people so more stakeholder management goes on yeah it takes longer to get a decision agreed and landed and get the team behind yeah. you when it's a large organization The smaller the organisation, the quicker the decision-making, and you can just change things like that. So they're the two big differences. But you have more relationships, you meet more people. I love the fact that I was working for a market-leading organisation. It gives you pride to work for a business like that. So, yeah, who wouldn't get satisfaction out of spending the amount of money that I used to spend as commercial director for BSS? You know, yeah. a lot of money that yeah. I was responsible for. So I think there's there's uh, you, and against. Really. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So the, the reg. Yeah. Because this is for the independent distributors. Yes, yes. Regional Engineering Distribution Group. Okay. And how long, how long have you been <laughs> part of them as an organisation? What would you say to people that might not be with an organisation and why, you know, it's been a benefit to you in your career but also yeah wider so so reg was a it's a, a buying group yeah so if you think about all the independents that buy and sell uh, the same product that the big nationals do their spend is very small by comparison to a large national so they created this group well before i came along it was already existing when I joined Bancroft's. But yeah, so I used to I used to be on Reg as MD of Bancroft Pipeline, mm-hmm. as a member of Reg. And uh, and that was to enable us to be able to pull together our purchasers. Uh, we didn't use to place orders together, but we would take our annual purchases and negotiate on behalf of the members. So right. it was a buying group to give us an opportunity to be able to compete against the big nationals. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. And you say you're going to continue? No, that's that's for independence. Yeah. 
the BMTFA. Oh, sorry, yeah, it's me mixing up with all these acronyms. <laughs> the British Metal Tube and Fittings Association. When I first joined that, um, I was working for Bancrofts again. I've even so. got this written down, yeah. so apologies for getting it wrong. <laughs> so, so I was. Uh, I used to attend on behalf of Reg. I used to uh, attend the BMTFA meetings because mm. Reg are. Were a member and still are a member. Yeah, it was just like an old boys club in those days. And um, you know, it was it was all all men. Yeah, you know? I was going to so, say you weren't an old boy though, were you? No, no, but it was just <laughs> not like that forty five year old man no. that they wanted. <laughs> no, I, I was slowly turning into that person <laughs> eventually. Um, but no, it was. But a few years ago, we realised that actually something like that, this was just going to wither on the vine. The chair of the BMTFA is uh, Richard Trevaskis, mm-hmm. who's the man- managing director of George Fisher, and he was. The same as me, really. We were. I was chairing the distributors. He was chairing the uh, manufacturers, and we had a discussion. And a few of us got together and said, "Right, what can we do to turn this around and make it more beneficial for members rather than just to get together?" Yeah. Which is what it had just become. Yeah. So um, we decided that really we have a lot of issues. Our customers have a lot of issues where they don't understand the choices and materials that are available to them as well as they used to, probably because there's more materials to choose from than there ever were, whether that's different materials, different end fittings, lots of different valves than what they used to be before. Yeah. And I think the the problem is that there's, there's an element of that, and I think also... There's more subcontracting going on than there ever used to be. And some of those subcontractors are subcontracting on that uh, those builds. And the problem with that is the people choosing the materials to use are not really understanding what materials they should be using. Right. Whether that's the type, whether it's the materials, or, or whether it's the quality, they're just choosing the wrong materials. Mm. Now... As, as commercial director of BSS, I every, every single customer complaint about product came to me. Didn't matter how small or how large, I I wanted to see them all so that I could understand what was going on in the customer base with uh, or whether there's a problem with a particular supplier, a particular customer, or a particular material that we were selling. Right. So I saw all of them. And I could see that it was getting worse and worse and worse. And more times than not, it didn't result in us having to pay anything because we could show that they'd actually either installed it wrong or chosen the wrong material. And what we agreed that we'd do in the BMTFA is to provide some technical guidance so that um, those people who are not as au fait with the material selection as others would have somewhere to go to be able to choose the right product that they needed for the job. Yeah, because that's something, again, obviously me and Mike have worked slightly on the side of your industry yeah. uh, in the stainless market predominantly. Now, it was typical many years ago for people to be highly skilled and yeah. for engineers to phone up and ask you and say, we're installing something at this plant. Yeah. This is the working temperature. This is the pressure that's going through. And then they would say, what grade of material and what type of material yeah. should I do for that? And then you'd, yeah. you'd give them advice. So yeah. that doesn't happen anymore. 
what do you kind of think of the the skill set of the people that are in your market sector has that has that increased or are the people that are on the desk nowadays uh, there's just too much for them to know and therefore they can't always provide the technical expertise that people really require yeah i i I think there is a a, definitely there's a lot to choose from Uh, a lot of different materials but also the end fittings as well and all the pipe work you know, yeah. there's and 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 all all of that's all been introduced over the last what fifteen twenty years. Yeah, gone of the days where you know, do, do you want plastic, stainless, carbon, or copper? Yeah. Now there's so many other materials. Yeah. Where you know, multi layer materials, composite materials. Yeah. And then all with different sort of fittings and do, ends on them. And do the customers who are ringing up in this in these industries, do they do they know or are they looking at the staff there for the their advisors? I think it's a mixture of both really. And and BSS really invested a lot in technical training yeah. for their telephone sales oh, and their good. Uh, external sales but not as much as they used to probably in the earlier days yeah. you know if you go back i don't know well they 20, were the steam specialists weren't they that they was the were. whole point yeah and then people would have gone through a fairly rigorous training program and some of those people have retired from the business they've yeah. left the business and moved on and so so i would say that even bss who's probably best at it mm. out of everybody is still not as good as they need to be if the customers, the installers are going to rely 100% on distributors. And they really the do. They really do rely well, on that, I think. I'm not sure that they do. Okay. I'm not sure that they do, Pete, because mm. I think that there's an assumption that if a supplier has a conversation with mm. a contractor or a, an installer, then they'll believe that that's the right material if they're right. told that it's okay. Yeah. And I'm not sure whether or not, in some cases, I think we can be really clear that that's wrong, that mm. they've got it wrong, and we can help that customer as a as a as BSS. We could help that customer get some compensation for that. Yeah. But but in in others, there's a you know there's yeah, a level yeah. of the contractor themselves should be aware yeah. that if they use you know product X with Y that they're going to get a problem with it. You know, yeah. mixing carbon and stainless, for example. Well this, well, this is what I was going to say. Like I started kind of dabbling with my old business in your market sector, yeah. and I felt that the particular customers I was dealing with were very heavily reliant on the expertise. I mean, I was using. Uh, Smith Brothers Stores yeah. is my kind of chosen partner that I was working with. Yeah. But again, as I was kind of alluding to, in mine and Mike's industry with the stainless, people would just tell us what they wanted. Yeah. And we just provided them with quotes. Yeah. For what they wanted. Mm. They yeah. didn't ask us any technical questions. Whereas I found it more in, in your sector yeah. that there was a lot of questions. And we would see it ourselves where I'd be supplying copper, carbon, yeah. brass, whatever. Yeah. And then sometimes I'd be going out to site to drop things off. And I could see that they were then, as you said, carbon and stainless together. And I'm yeah. looking at it and thinking, what are you doing? Yeah. But they're like, yeah, it's okay. And you're like, yeah. well, it, well, it's not. <laughs> but who, who, who am I to tell you, the yeah. installer, what you're doing? Yeah. Well, I, I think probably in the um, H&B sector, yeah. um, 
you're you are having to use a lot of different materials building a plant room doing a, a pipe work a whole pipe work yeah. through a building a commercial building there's a lot more different materials going in absolutely whereas i suppose if you're a steel fabricator you're always going to buy pretty yeah. well the same product albeit it might be different bore sizes whatever correct but those guys are, are, almost do the same job all the time whereas in construction Every time they start a new job, there's probably new requirements, whether yeah. whatever that might be. Mm. I mean, we, we had a situation where copper's not being used in, in certain areas, like um, Scotland, for example, because of the water quality. Okay. You know, now, now if you are somebody who works all the time on hospitals in Scotland, you know that you've got to be careful not yeah. to use copper with the water quality that they've got in certain cities and, yeah. and areas in Scotland. Whereas if you're coming from outside and you're a subcontractor, you don't normally do that, then no. who's going to stop you no, if no. the specifications no. No, that's right. Here? No one. So there's a lot of help, I think, that's needed. At the but moment. this is, you were talking to me a few weeks back about this is where you think Sibsy and Beza are, are going to be... Yeah, the, the collaboration that you mentioned earlier between uh, the BMTFA and BESA that I'm helping to, to, to have a look to see how that will work. SIBSI really represents the uh, designers and the architects, if you like, in our yeah. sector. Um, BESA tend to be the place that the contractors and the installers will be members. Yes. And they get a lot of training and help through BESA to help do their business. We can provide the technical guidance through the BMTFA, but we're not talking to the end user customers. We're not talking to the yeah, contractors okay. and the installers. So Beza can help us with that communication. They can help give us a platform for us to be able to take the information that we've got and actually give it to the people that need it. So that's where I see the collaboration between the two. You're Chris, so we honestly, I'm like it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, like I mean, yeah. you've like I mean, some of the positions you've had, it's just like it's unbelievable, really. Because people don't, you've gone in at levels, and it's just like you've had a mixture of where you've promoted within, mm. but then you've gone in as the committee, and you've had to use different skills when you're going in that level because you've come. Yeah, there might be someone who's applied internally, and you've. Yeah, I mean, it's just. Well, there is there isn't anything that any of us can't do. No. But I, I think with yourself, what I've seen today is just you've just put yourself out there, and you've just gone. You know what? This is this is my goal. Yeah. And if I have to go and live in Bristol, I'll go and live in Bristol. I've got to go and live. I'll go anywhere Doesn't in matter. this country. Yeah. Or you know, abroad. When yeah. you're talking about China, it's yeah. like you'll do it to get to where you need to be. And there's yeah. so many people who just expect it just to come to them. Yeah. But it's not just about doing it to get to where you want to be. Yeah. Um, although I do believe in having a goal, yeah. a life goal. Yeah. I do believe in a life goal because I think when you get to anywhere in your life where you have to make a decision, am I going to go left or am I going to go right? Am I going to do this? Aren't I going to do that? Then it's worth remembering your goal because that will help you choose the right path. But but I don't think you're I don't think you're thinking about that goal all the time. No. What you're doing is you're trying to do the best possible job that you can in whatever role you're in 
uh, in your own way yeah. to be true to yourself, really. You know, yeah. um, throughout these kind of roles, you don't want me asking, yeah. it's like, how important has money been within these kind of things? Because I always got told from my dad, like quite when I started in distribution, I remember just getting paid like a, an apprentice wage. And I've done quite good money when I worked at like selling phones and stuff. And when I started working in distribution where I was earning like, I think I was earning about £249 a week or something like that. And I'd been earning double that in, in some ways. But my, I remember my dad saying, look, in life, he says, if you chase money, you'll only ever get so far. If you chase your goal, money mm. will follow. Yeah. Go for opportunities. Yeah. And money will follow. Was, I mean, how important was it for yourself? Um. So it's hard to, to answer I, I, that I know. one. I know. Um, I've, I've had a slightly different approach, whereas, um, so my father gave me yeah. advice. Yeah. And my father's advice to me was, don't let your gender get in the way of doing anything. You can do whatever yeah. you want. You can be whatever you want. You yeah. what, Whatever you want to be, you can be. Yeah. I did come back from the first job that I ever went to look at. I did come back from the job centre and they and they were advertising for somebody to be shot out of a cannon. And I remember saying to my dad, I think I found my, my first job. And he said, no. Yeah. Uh, but that was the only time, I think, that he ever told me no. Other than that, it was... Shot out of just... cannon. That's nearly as bad as the time when I got a job when I was like 16 at Subway and they made me dress up as a sandwich. Yeah, brown <laughs> dressed up as a meatball sandwich. And I wanted to take a picture for the local Bromsgrove paper. And I just rang my mum and said, Mum, like, I got bullied at school. Look, I can't be on the, I can't be on like page 19. The Bromsgrove advertiser dressed up as a meatball sandwich. Are you going to get bullied as an yeah, adult? Yeah, yeah, I'll get bullied as an adult, exactly. It's a good job uh, you've never done the cannon. Yeah. So, I mean, how important is money? Money's important once you've made a commitment to, say, like a mortgage or yeah. something like that. So I was 40 before um, I bought my first home that I yeah. lived in. Um, right up until then, it wasn't about the money because it was about enjoying life. It was yeah. about enjoying what I was doing. And if I didn't enjoy what I was doing, like in Bristol when I found out about yeah. the heating, that was it. I was off. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't enjoying the contract cleaning because I missed that yeah, sort of relationship. It's the cut and thrust, isn't it, as well, of the yeah, doing day Yeah, everything, really. Um, it is. And, and, and actually, when Travis Perkins bought out BSS, they gave me the opportunity, I applied, to become the Plumbing and Heating Divisional Commercial Director. So I applied and I got the role. It's a long title, that one, isn't it? Well, it was P&H Commercial Director. Okay. So is it Another here? acronym. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Sorry, Plumbing and Heating. Yeah. Domestic Plumbing and Heating, uh, which was a bit different for I'd been 20, yeah. almost 20 years in commercial, and then suddenly I was on domestic. But I had BSS as one of my businesses that I was responsible for. But a lot more money. Yeah. But the problem was that I wasn't speaking to suppliers every day. I didn't have a team of people sat around me all the time. I didn't have customers yeah. that I interacted with. And I actually really missed all those things. Yeah. Frank Elkins, who was the uh, managing director of BSS, by now he was the CEO because BSS was taken out of the P&H division yeah. in TP. 
and put into a specialist division. And he asked me if I'd like my old job back and I jumped at the opportunity. So biggest mistake I ever made was taking that role because it took me away from what I enjoyed on a day-to-day basis. More money. Yeah. yeah. So it's not always about the money. So you you mentioned there, big mistake. Yeah. Uh, We've been asking people. Yeah. What has been commercially the most horrendous mistake you've made? You know, where you've thought, did I just switch off my brain? For a period of time. I think that was the biggest personal mistake that I ever made, commercially. Because we've all made some. Yeah, (laughs) it's a hard one, really. Um, I think there are products that we have believed in as a business that I have evangelated about and said, I think we should do this, I think we should bring this in. Yeah. Where I've believed in a salesperson who's told me that as long as I get them in, he can sell or she can sell mm. loads and loads and loads of them. Yeah. Good job, you never employed me, so. Customers <laughs> are banging at the door for this. A lack of due diligence led to problem stock. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think the lesson learned from that for me over the years was if you want to bring something in new, Maybe pay slightly over the odds for it so you can bring smaller quantities in. Don't go out to the Far East and bring whole containers of the damn stuff in until you've got a market. Even if you believe in it, do baby steps at first. Okay, okay. Another area that is quite I'm really interested in is the role of e-commerce within our market sector. Yeah. Now, Wolseley have been doing a lot of work on their e-commerce platforms for a number of years. Yeah. And also now got all these brands coming back as well, which I think is just weird. But anyway, it's for another I day. Think it's right. Yeah, it's absolutely. Good. But they've they've <laughs> lost they've lost all the people. All the people that yeah. were great have all left, haven't they? So yeah, yeah. I think just having the name back doesn't necessarily cover no, the cracks really. No, they'll but they'll need the right people as well. But they've obviously gone big into e-commerce. Yeah. Like Graham's as a plumbing merchant, they've got a good yeah. website as well. Yeah. Uh, BSS don't no. Now, I don't. why do you think that is? And what do you think, do you think that people are going to get left behind if they don't build these e-commerce platforms? Yeah, I, I think I think the BSS has been around a long time, so yeah. what, 130 years. Yeah. And they have evolved during that time. We've had a few false starts in BSS when it comes to a new modern operating system. And we were about to move the business onto a an operating system that would support e-commerce over the longer term. Right. We needed to get the operating system in first, you know, the stock control and the finance side. Uh, TP acquired us at the 11th hour. So, uh, so we ended up of... with the central functions, the distribution and the commercial on it and the branches still on the old system we were just about to put the branches on when tp came in and said no stop it we're going to be bringing in a bigger system for the whole of the tp group so we've been working almost 10 years on that and Mm. couldn't find it we've had a few false starts and a lot of people spent a lot of time and effort and energy trying to bring the system in but i'll give tp 10 out of 10 that they had they had the balls to walk away from a, a big investment because they realised it wasn't going to be right for them. Okay. 
And um, so BSS are still on the same operating system that they were 40 years ago. Yeah. Is it an old AS400 one? Um, Is it those green screens with all that? It's a green screen. Yeah, we love those. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it works. Yeah. And, 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 but, but you can't put e-commerce on there. Mm. It's not possible. But do you um, think... That- as things are at the moment, it's, it will be needed at yeah. some point in the future. Do you think that's probably a worry for them, though, that they could get left a little bit behind? Because, you know, we had Rob Bryan on from Clockner, yeah. and the investments they're making as a company are... Yeah. They, they were yeah. they were big, weren't they? Yeah. You know, so they're yeah. really pushing that. So yeah. the last time we went out to our customers, which was probably about four or five years ago, yeah. asking the question about um, online trading, mm. proper e-commerce, if you like, where you know the customer can sit in the evening and place their order and etc. You know, your Amazon experience, yes. and only two percent of our customer base wanted that. Mm. So I think our customer base is quite traditional yeah, uh, in the way that they do things. The, the 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 problem with doing e-trading is that every customer has a slightly different price for the products they buy. And every project, every job that's done tends to get negotiated at that point. Well, I think when they're huge, that's yeah. always the case, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, the domestic side, if you look at, you know, like you mentioned Graham's and uh, certainly, you know, your plum centres of this world, definitely easy easy stuff to sell. Everybody knows what they want to buy. Yeah. Um, the pricing's less complex, although it, it was pretty complex even in plumbing and heating. Of course. But easier. Um, and, but you've got a lot of what they call contract support in our sector, in the commercial sector, where suppliers – you know, give you a special rate for a large job. You look at the volume of stuff that goes on to new build hospitals and prisons and things like that. They're huge. You know, things like the Olympic Games and things like, you know, the the new terminals at Heathrow and things like that. They're so big. Mm. Um, Customers want to negotiate for those kind of projects. So your pricing would stop you from being able to do online trading. Okay. Right, well, look. This has been brilliant. Thanks for inviting us into your home yeah, and you know, to, to meet all the, the farmyard animals as well <laughs> and the, the micro horse or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, the mini horse. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. not a pony, it's no, a mini it's horse. A mini let's, horse. Go, let's go and get some lobster. Exactly. Yeah. And Millie did shout to you, didn't she? Our she little did, donkey. Yeah. Yeah. She shouted hello. hello and the chickens came in the house they did. to see you. So. They did. She when it came on the table. I was the chicken in that that (laughs) scenario. We were sat relaxing and just having a drink, and suddenly a chicken jumps on the table, and you jumped out your chair. (laughs) And the cats have been to say hello as well. But no, thanks for letting us come come down. And you know, I mean, it's been. It's been really fun. It's been a pleasure, yeah. actually. So, um, thanks Power, for your time. Power of LinkedIn. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and that's brilliant. We said that on the way up, actually. We were saying, um, but just as we were turning up, Mike, when he goes, "This is so random," I was like, "I know." He goes, "It's just so weird, isn't it?" But it's great. What a belting song that is. Tune, isn't it? Oh, honestly. It's wild good. <laughs> I reckon we should have had a bit of Michael Bolton, though, but we couldn't get the rights for no, it. No, you've got to pay couldn't for get, that, mate. Couldn't get the rights to my own name. What a bloody shame. <laughs>
Um, thanks for taking a listen to the Metal Guys Talk Business. Really appreciate taking the time to listen to me and Pete's podcast and listen to our guests. Um, you can help us out in three ways. You can share it. You can subscribe to our channel. And you can also write us an Apple review. Only if it's good, no. Yeah. Don't be sticking any negativity on there. There's enough negativity with COVID and Brexit over the, over the, over the last 12 months. So we don't need it. You know, don't need any haters anyway. But, um, but there's a few uh, topic areas we want people to get uh, in contact with us about as well. Um, we said this in the first podcast, but topic areas were really interesting. There's five big ones. First one was bottom to the top. Pretty self-explanatory. Want to talk to second and third and potentially fourth generational business owners about what they're doing and the headaches they have pushing their businesses forward. Independent business owners that might have sold, we're interested in those stories. As well as startups, um, there's not a lot of new market entrants, so it's interesting to find out who's taken the plunge and how they've found it. Um, And lastly, I spoke about failures in that first one. Obviously, my business eventually failed due to circumstances outside of my control. But, you know, if other people have had difficulties or issues, you know, those are the kind of stories that people want to listen to, really. Um, And, Mike, you had a couple of other areas that I think since we've done this have cropped up a few times that you're pretty passionate about as well. I really want to talk about training. I mean, I was given an opportunity in 2011 to, to, you know, do internal sales role in a, um, an independent stockholding business. And I I think we've really, as an industry, have got to do our bit really, whether that's through apprenticeships, whether that's through training of bringing people in from a sales environment and and learning them the, you know, teaching them the the skill set that we've all got because, Mm. No one leaves school and wants to sell stainless steel or, or steel, you know. I know. So when the people have got something about them, to be able to teach them what we all learn. And let's face it, once you're in this industry, no, very rarely does anyone leave no. because it's it's a, a great industry. You make some, meet some really great people. So I think we've got to start looking at how we're going to develop the new crop of people coming through because definitely. it's definitely an aging industry and it's an industry that really – He's got some really outstanding things to do for me, especially, you know, like, you know, about going on. It's for me, when I got involved in it, you know, I did feel like for the first time I had a career in it and there'd be many people like me who have been the same. So mm. training's massive. I'd love to, you know, do a podcast on that. Yeah. Well, we want to do, um, we've kind of already got irons in the fire, but we'd like to do a, a podcast on the future of the laser industry um, as well. We're looking to get, maybe three or four different companies or people in that sector um, to talk about how laser can progress and, and where people think that that kind of side of the industry is going um, rather than just chopping shapes out of plates, you know, what what it is that is going to be coming, you know, well, what's going to be oh, different in evolve, the yeah. kind of 10 years or 15 years really. So if you're running a laser company or you're someone who's an expert in that sector, we'd welcome... Yeah, you want to that podcast, really? 100%. I mean, the other one that I'd like to speak about, really, is e-commerce. It's something that we, you know, we've recruited for a few roles now in the last 18 months of setting up Compton Group. So it's definitely... It's a growth area, isn't it's it? It's definitely a growth area. So I believe over the next kind of 10 years, we're going to see a lot more companies, you know, getting involved in this e-commerce and how that's going to change the way people purchase raw materials. Um, it's going to be very interesting and see how it's implemented. So mm-hmm. again, you know, if you're... If you've got an e-commerce system at the moment, maybe you're implementing one. You know how what benefits do you feel that's going to give your customers, um, and what rewards it's going to give to your business? So again, we'd love to talk about that as well. Yeah, the other thing that's kind of cropped up has been Brexit's turned up again in the news recently. I think kind of disappeared behind COVID for about maybe Brexit got 
in a corona. Yeah. <laughs> it was I'm ill. Not. It had a bit of time off, didn't it? It was on furlough. Yeah. But um, we're interested in talking to maybe like more manufacturing type companies about, you know, how you kind of position yourself for maybe, you know, potentially a hard Brexit. Um, we know that there's a lot of businesses that have started setting up overseas to kind of sort themselves out or put themselves in a better position. But we're interested to maybe talk about the opportunities as well that companies are looking at and thinking, well, what do we need to be doing and how do we need to be investing uh, to take advantage of the potential for a harder Brexit? So these are all topic areas that we're interested in, we'll be talking about on future episodes. So feel free to get in touch with us. Look forward to speaking to you soon. Take it easy. Ta-da.